0: CHAPTER Nine: THE GREY HAVENS The clearing up certainly needed a lot of work, but it took less time than Sam had feared. The day after the battle Frodo rode to Mar- Michel Delving and released the prisoners from the lockholes. One of the first that they found was poor Frederic Bolger, fatty no longer. He had been taken with the ruffians, smoked out of the band of rebels that hid from their hidings up in the Broken Bones by the hills of Skerry. You would have done better to come with us after all, poor old Frederick, said Pippin. And they carried him out, too weak to walk. He opened an eye and tried to gallantly smile. Who's this young giant with a loud voice? Not little Pippin. What's your size and hats now? And then there was Labelia. Poor thing, she looked very old and thin when they rescued her from the dark and narrow cell. She insisted on hobbling out with her own feet and she had such a welcome, and there was such clapping and cheering when she appeared, leaning on Frodo's arm but still clutching her umbrella, that she was quite touched, and drove away in tears. She had never in her life been popular before, but she was crushed by the news of Lotho's murder, and she would not return to Bag End. She gave it back to Frodo, and went to her own people, the Brace girdles of Hardbottle. When the poor creature died next spring, she was, after all, more than a hundred years old. Frodo was surprised and much moved. She had left all that remained of her money and of Lothos for him to use in helping hobbits making homeless by the Troubles. And so that, that feud, was now ended. Old Will Whitfoot had been in lockholes longer than any, and though he had perhaps been treated less harshly than some, he needed a lot of feeding up before he could take the part of Mere. So Frodo agreed to act as his deputy, until Mr Whitfoot was in shape again. The only thing that he did as deputy mayor was to reduce the sheriffs to their proper functions and numbers. The task of hunting out the last remnant of the ruffians was left to Merry and Pippin, and it was soon done. The southern gangs, after hearing the news of the Battle of Bywater, fled out of the land and offered little resistance to the Thane. Before the year's end, the few survivors were rounded up in the woods and those that surrendered were shown to the borders. Meanwhile, the labour of repair went on apace, and Sam was kept very busy. Hobbits can work like bees when in the mood and the need comes to them. Now there are thousands of willing hands of all ages, from the small but nimble ones of the hobbit lads and lasses to the well-worn and horny ones of the gaffers and the gammas. Before Yule, not a brick was left standing by the new sheriff houses or of anything that had been built by the Sharkey's men. But the bricks were used to repair many an old hole, to make it snugger and drier. Great stores of goods and foods and beer were found that had been hidden away by the ruffians in sheds and barns and deserted holes, and especially in the tunnels at Michael Delving and the old quarries of the Skerry, so there was a great deal better cheer that year than any had hoped for. One of the first things done in Hobbiton before even the removal of the new mill was the clearing of the hill and bag end and the restoration of Bagshot Row. The front of the new sandpit was all leveled and made into a large sheltered garden, and new holes were dug in the southward face, back into the hill, and they were lined with brick. The gaffer was restored to number three, and he said often he did not care who heard it. It's an ill wound that blows nobody no good, as I always say. All's well, ends well, better. There's some discussion of the name of the new row, Battle gardens was thought of, or better snails, but after a while, a sensible hobbit fashion, it was just called New Row. It was purely a joke to refer it as Sharky's End. The trees were the worst loss and damage, for at Sharky's bidding they had been cut down recklessly far and wide over the Shire, and Sam grieved this over more than anything else. For one thing, this hurt was going to take longer to heal, and it was only his great-grandchildren he thought would see the Shire as it ought to be. Then suddenly, one day, for he'd been too busy for weeks to give it thought, he remembered the gift of Galadriel. He brought the box out and showed it to the other travellers, for so that they were called by everyone, and asked their advice. I wonder what you think of it, said Frodo. Open it. Inside it was filled with a grey dust, soft and fine, in the middle of which was a seed, like a small nut with a silver shell. What can I do with this? said Sam. "'Throw it in the air on a breezy day and let it do its work,' said Pippin. "'On what?' said Sam. "'Choose one spot as a nursery, and let's see what happens to the plants in there. "'Oh, I'm sure the lady would not like to see me keep it all for my own garden, "'now that so many folk have suffered,' said Sam. "'Well, use all the wits and knowledge you have of your own, Sam, "'and then use the gift to help your work and better it. use it sparingly. There's not much here. "'And I suspect every grain has a value.' So Sam planted saplings in all the places where especially beautiful, beloved trees had been destroyed, and he put a grain of the precious dust in the soil at each root. He went up and down the shire in his labour, but if he paid special attention to Hobbiton and Bywater, no one blamed him. And at the end he found that he still had a little of the dust left, so he went to Three Farthing Stone, which is as near the centre of the shire as, as could be, and cast it in the air with his blessing the little silver nut he planted in the party field where the tree had once been, and he wondered what would come of it. All through winter he remained as patient as he could be, and he tried to restrain himself from going round constantly to see if anything was happening. Spring surpassed his wildest hopes. His trees began to sprout and grow, as if time was in a hurry and wished to make one year do for twenty. In the party field a beautiful young sapling leapt up, it had silver bark and long leaves and burst into golden flowers in April. It was indeed a Malorn, and was the wonder of the neighbourhood. In after years as it grew in grace and beauty it was known far and wide and people would come on long journeys to see it. It was the only Malorn west of the mountains and east of the sea and one of the finest in all the world. Altogether 14,020 in the Shire was a wonderful year. Not only was there marvellous sunshine and delicious rain, in due times and perfect measure there seemed something more, an air of richness and growth and a gleam of beauty beyond that of mortal summers that flicker and pass upon this middle earth. All the children born and begotten in that year, and there were many, were fair to see and strong, and most of them had rich golden hair that had before been rare amongst hobbits. The fruit was plentiful that young hobbits very nearly bathed in the strawberries and the cream, and later they sat on the lawns under the plum trees and ate until they made piles of stones like small pyramids or heaped skulls of a conqueror, and then they moved on. No one was ill, and everyone was pleased, except those who had to mow the grass. In the south farthing the vines were laden, and the yield of leaf was astonishing, and everywhere there was so much corn that the harvest, at harvest every barn was stuffed. The North Farthing Barley was so fine that the beer of 1420 malt was long remembered and became a byword. Indeed, a generation later, one might hear an old gaffer at the inn, after a good pint of well-earned ale, put down the mug and say, Ah, that was a proper 1420, that was. Sam stayed at first at the cottons with Frodo, but when the new row was ready, he went with the gaffer. In addition to all his other labours, he was busy directing the cleaning up and restoring of Bag End and he was often away in the shire on his forestry work, so he was not at home early in March and did not know that Frodo had been ill. On the thirteenth of that month, Farmer Cotton found Frodo lying in his bed, clutching a white gem that hung on a chain about his neck. He seemed half in a dream. It's gone forever, he said, and now all is dark and empty. But the fit passed, and when Sam got back on the twenty-fifth, Frodo had recovered, said nothing about himself. In the meanwhile, Bag End had been set to order, and Mary and Pippin came over from Crick Hollow bringing back all the old furniture and gear, so that the old hole soon looked very much as it always had done. When all was at last ready, Frodo said, When, when are you going to move in and join me, Sam? Sam looked a bit awkward. Oh, there's no need to come yet if you don't want to, said Frodo, but you know the gaffer is close at hand and he will be very well looked after by Widow Rumble." Oh, it's not that, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, and he went very red. What is it? Well, it's rosy cotton. Rose cotton, said Sam. It, It seems she didn't like me going abroad at all, the poor lass, but as I hadn't spoken, she couldn't say so. And I didn't speak because I had a job to do first. But now I have spoken, and she says, Well, we've wasted a year, so why wait any longer? Wasted? Well, I wouldn't call it that. Still, I see what she means. I feel torn in two, as you might say. Oh, said Frodo, you want to get married, and yet you want to live with me in Bag End too. My dear Sam, how easy. Get married as soon as you can. And then move in with Rosie. There's room enough in Bag End for as big as a family as you could possibly wish for. And so it was settled. Sam Gamgee married Rose Cotton in the spring of 1420, which was also famous for its weddings. And they came and lived in Bag End. And if Sam thought himself lucky, Frodo knew that he was more lucky himself, for there was not a hobbit in the Shire that was looked after with such care. When the labours of repair had all been planned and set going, he took to a quiet life, writing a great deal and going through all his notes. He resigned the office of Deputy Mayor at the Free Fair that midsummer, and dear old Will Whitford had another seven years of presiding at banquets. Mary and Pippin lived together for some time at Crickhollow, and there was much coming and going between Buckland and Bag End. The two young travellers cut a great dash into the shire with their songs and their, their tales and their finery and their wonderful parties. Lordly, folk called them, meaning nothing but good, for it warmed the their hearts to see them riding by with their mail shirts so bright and their shields so splendid, laughing and singing songs of far away. And if they were now large and magnificent, they were unchanged otherwise, unless they were indeed more fair-spoken and more jovial and full of merriment than before. Frodo and Sam, however, went back to ordinary attire, except that when they were, when it was needed, they both wore long grey cloaks, finely woven and clasped at the throat, with beautiful brooches, and Mr Frodo always wore a white jewel in the chain that he would often run over with his fingers. All things now went well, with the hope of becoming still better, and Sam was as busy and full of delight as even a hobbit could wish. Nothing for him marred that whole year, except for some vague anxiety about his master, Frodo dropped quietly out of the doings of the Shire, and Sam was pained to notice how little honour he had in his own country. Few people knew or wanted to know about his deeds and adventures. Their admiration and respect were given most, mostly to Mr. Merriadock and Mr. Peregrine, and, if Sam had known it, to himself. Also in the autumn there appeared to be a shadow of old troubles. One evening Sam came to the study and found his master looking very strange. He was pale, and his eyes seemed to see things far away. What's the matter, Mr Frodo? said Sam. I'm wounded, he answered. I'm, I'm wounded, and it will never really heal. But then he got up, and the turn seemed to pass, and he's quite himself again the next day. It wasn't until afterwards that Sam recalled that the date was October the 6th, two years before on that day it was dark in the dell under Weathertop. Time went on, and 1421 came in. Frodo was ill again in March, and with great effort he concealed it, for Sam had other things to think about. The first of Sam and Rosie's children were born on the 25th of March, a date that Sam noted. Well, Mr. Frodo, I'm in a bit of a fix. Rose and me had settled to call him Frodo with your leave, but it's not him, it's, it's her. Though as pretty a May child as anyone could hope for, taking after Rose more than me, luckily. We don't know what to do. Well, Sam, said Frodo, what's wrong with the old customs? Choose a flower name like Rose. Half the maid children in the Shire are called by such names, and what could be better? I suppose you're right, Mr. Frodo, said Sam. I've heard some beautiful names in my travels, but I suppose they're a bit too grand for daily wear and tear, as you might say. Make it short, as my gaffer says, and then you won't have to cut it short before you can use it. But then if it's to be a flower name, I don't. then I don't trouble about the length. It must be a beautiful flower, because, you see, I think she's very beautiful and is going to be more beautiful still. Frodo thought for a moment. Well, Sam, what about Eleanor, the sun star? You remember the golden flowers and the grass of Lothoen? Oh, you're right again, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, delighted. That's what I wanted. Little Eleanor was nearly six months old and 1421 had passed to it's autumn when Frodo called Sam into the study. It will be Bilbo's birthday on Thursday, Sam, he said, and he'll pass the old Took. He'll be a 131. So he will, said Sam. He's a marvel. Well, Sam, said Frodo, I want you to see Rose and find out if she can spare you, and so that you and I can go off together. You can't go far or for long, you know. Well, not very well, Mr Frodo. Well, of course not, but never mind, you can see me on my way. Tell Rose that you won't be away very long, not more than a fortnight, and I'll bring you back, safe. I wish I could go all the way with you Mister Riv- uh, to Rivendell, Mr Frodo, and see Bilbo again, and yet the only place I really want to be is here. I'm again torn in two. "'Oh, Sam, it will feel like that, I'm afraid. "'But you will be healed. "'You are meant to be solid and whole, and you will be.'" The next day or two, Frodo went through his papers and his writings with Sam, and he handed over his keys. It was a big book with plain red leather covers. Its tall pages were now almost full. In the beginning, there were many leaves covered in Bilbo's thin wandering hand, but most of it was, was written in Frodo's firm, flowing script. It was divided into chapters, but chapter 80 was unfinished, and after that there were some blank leaves. The title page had many titles on it, crossed out one after another. First, my diary, then my unexpected journey, then there and back again, and what happened after? The Adventure of Five Hobbits, the tale of the Great Ring, compiled by Bilbo Baggins from his own observations in the account of his friends. What we did in the War of the Ring. Here Bilbo's hand ended and Frodo had written, The Downfall of the Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King, as seen by the Little People, being the memoirs of Bilbo and Frodo of the Shire, supplemented by accounts of their friends and the learnings of the wise, together with extracts from the Book of Law translated by Bilbo and Rivendell. Why, you've nearly finished it, Mr. Frodo, Sam exclaimed. Well, you have to keep at it, I must say. "'Oh, I've quite finished, Sam,' said Frodo. "'The last pages are for you.' "'On September the 21st, they set out together, "'Frodo on the pony that had borne him all the way from Minas Tirith "'and is now called Strider, and Sam on his beloved Bill. "'It was a fair golden morning, and Sam did not ask where they were going. "'He thought he could guess. "'They took the stock road over the hills and went towards the woody end, "'and they let their ponies walk at their leisure.' They camped in the green hills, and on September the 22nd they rode gently down to the beginning of the trees as afternoon was wearing away. "'If it isn't the very tree you hid behind when the black rider first showed up, Mr Frodo,' said Sam, pointing to the left. "'It seems like a dream now!' It was evening and the stars were glimmering in the eastern sky as they passed the ruined oak and turned and went down the hill between the hazel thickets. Sam was silent, deep in his memories." Presently he became aware that Frodo was singing softly to himself the old walking song, but the words were not the same. Still round the corner they may wait a new road or secret gate and though I oft pass them by a day will come at last when I shall take the hidden paths that run west of moon and east of sun. And as if an answer from down below coming up the road of the valley voices sang albereth ah, githoliel Sylvan and palmeliel o menal el a ah, githlon al albereth we still remember we who dwell in this fair land beneath the trees the starlight on the western seas and frodo and sam halted and sat silent in the soft shadows until they saw a shimmer as those travelers came towards them there was Gilda, and many fair elven folk, and to Sam's wonder rode Alron and Galadriel. Alron wore a mantle of grey, and had a star upon his forehead, and a silver harp was in his hand, and upon his finger was a ring of gold and a great blue stone, Vilya, the mightest, mightiest of the three. But Galadriel sat upon the white palfrey and was grobed all a glimmering white, like clouds about the moon, for she herself seemed to shine with a soft light. On her finger was Nenya, the ring wrought with mithril, that bore a single white stone flickering like a frosty star. <clears throat> Riding slowly behind on a small grey pony, and seeming to nod in his sleep, was Bilbo himself. Elrond greeted them gravely and graciously, and Galadriel smiled upon them. Well, Master Samwise, she said, I hear and see that you have used my gift well. The Shire shall now be more blessed and beloved. Sam bowed, but he found there was nothing to say. He had forgotten how beautiful the lady was. Then Bilbo woke up and opened his eyes. Hello, Frodo. Well, I've passed the old took today, so that's settled, and I now think I'm quite ready to go on another journey. Are you coming? Yes, I'm coming, said Frodo. The ring-bearers should go together. Where are you going, Master? cried Sam, though at last he understood what was happening. "'To the havens, Sam,' said Frodo. "'And I can't come?' "'No, Sam, not yet anyway. "'Not further than the havens, "'though you too were a ring-bearer, if only for a little while. "'Your time may come. "'Do not be too sad, Sam. "'You cannot always be torn, torn in two. "'You'll have to be one and whole for many years. "'You have so much to enjoy and to be and to do.' "'But,' but," said Sam, and tears start in his eyes, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire, too, for years and years, after all that you've done. So I thought, too, once, but I've been too deeply hurt. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. But you are my ear. All I have had and might have had I leave to you. And also you have Rose and Eleanor and Frodo lad will come, and Rosy Lass and Mary and Goldilocks and Pippin, and perhaps more that I cannot see. Your hands and your wits will be needed everywhere. You will be the mayor, of course, as long as you want to be, and the most famous gardener in history. And you will read things out of the Red Book and keep alive the memory of the age that is gone so that people will remember the great danger and so love their beloved land all the more. And that will keep you as busy, and as happy as anyone can be, as long as your part of the story goes on. Now come now, ride with me. Then Auron and Galadriel rode on, for the third age was over, and the days of ring were past, and an end was coming to the story and the song of those times. With them went many elves of the high kindred who would no longer stay in Middle-earth, and among them, filled with a sadness that was yet blessed and without bitterness, rode Sam and Frodo and Bilbo, and the elves delighted to honour them. Though they rode through the mist of the shire all evening and all the night, none saw them pass save the wild creatures, or here and there some wanderer in the dark who saw a swift shimmer under the trees, or a light and shadow flowing through the grass as the moon went westward. And when they had passed from shire, they went down to the south skirts of the white downs. They came to the far downs and to the towers and looked into the distant sea and so they rode down at last to Mithlod, to the grey havens, the long firth of Lone. At last they came to the gates, Sir Dan the shipwright came forth to greet them. Very tall he was, and his beard was long, and he was grey and old, save that his eyes were keen as stars. He looked at them and bowed and said, All is now ready. Then Sir Dan led them up to the havens, and there was a white ship lying upon the quay beside a grey horse and stood a figure robed all in white awaiting them. As he turned and came towards them, Frodo saw that Gandalf now wore openly on his hand the third ring, Naria the Great, and the stone upon it was red as fire. And then those who were to go were glad, for they knew that Gandalf would also t- take to the ship with them. But Sam was now sorrowful at heart, and it seemed to him that if the parting would be bitter, more grievous still would be the long road home alone. But even as he stood there, and the elves were going aboard, and was being made ready to depart, up rode Merry and Pippin in great haste, and amid his tears, Pippin laughed. "'You tried to give us a slip once before and failed, Frodo,' he said. "'This time you have nearly succeeded, but you have failed again. "'It was not Sam, though, that gave you air this time, but Gandalf himself.' "'Yes,' said Gandalf, "'for it will be better to ride back three together than one alone.' Well, here at last, dear friends, on the shores of the sea, comes the end of our fellowship in Middle-earth. Go in peace. I will not say do not weep, for not all tears are evil. Then Frodo kissed Merry and Pippin, and last of all Sam, and went aboard. And the sails were drawn up, and the wind blew. And slowly the ship slipped away down the long, grey firth, and the light of the glass of Galadriel that Frodo bore glimmered and was lost the ship went out to the high sea and passed into the west, until at last, on a night of rain, Frodo smelled a sweet fragrance in the air, and heard the sound of singing that came over the water. And it seemed to him that in his dream, as in his dream in the house of Bombadil, the grey rain-curtain turned all to silver glass and was rolled back, and he beheld white shores and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise. But to Sam the evening deepened to darkness. As he stood at the haven and he looked at the grey sea he saw only a shadow of the waters that were soon lost in the west there still he stood far into the night hearing only the sigh and the murmur of the waves on the shore of middle earth and the sound of them sank deeper into his heart beside him stood mary and pippin and they were silent at last the three companions turned away and never again looking back they rode slowly homewards and they spoke no word to one another until they came back to the shire, but each had great comfort in his friends in the long grey road. At last they rode over the downs, and took the east road, and then Mary and Pippin rode on to Buckland, and already they were singing again as they went. But Sam turned to Bywater, and so came back up the hill, as day was ending once more. And he went on, and there was yellow light and fire within, and the evening meal was ready and he was expected, and Rose drew him in and set him in his chair, and put little Eleanor upon his lap. He drew a deep breath. Well, I'm back, he said.